We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jason Collette is here to do his annual bowl predictions re- reflection here. He's going to share why he hates your team and your player more than anyone else. No, it's only for Michael Harris people, but no, not true. We're going to cover that and a whole lot more here on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Coming right up. Welcome, everybody, to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the good folks at Fantrax and Underdog. We thank them for their sponsorship during draft season here. My guest today is Jason Collette. I'm Jeff Erickson. Uh, you can check out our content at Rotowire. Uh, that's where we do our work. Rotowire.com slash try. Get you a peek behind the paywall. If you don't already subscribe, if you don't, we invite you to check it out. If you do already subscribe, we thank you for that. Jason, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I am uh, anxiously looking forward to our time in Florida next month because today is one of those days in Charlotte where it's about half the uh, half the temperature it is down there that we'll see in March. So uh, I'm already anxiously looking forward to spring training. How about you? Uh, I, I am. I live in California, so it's, I'm, I'm good weather wise usually. Although we had a ton of rain, it get, it's gotten a little cold here and there. By cold, I mean frost on the windshield. Cold, but uh, hey. Nothing like we have in most parts of the country right now. So hopefully I can bring that warm energy to you guys. Um, I'm excited though. I mean, we're we're getting we're setting all of our draft dates now. More content's coming up on the site da- uh, on a daily basis. I'm writing more baseball now, writing less football. Uh, these things are coincide with each other. Very excited, very excited about that. Spring training awesome. starting up really soon. I'm not doing labor in person. I always do. Uh, lately, I've been doing the mixed online draft. Just timing kid wise and all that how that goes so but uh yeah very looking forward to everything coming up here uh let's jump right into it you do a a feature called bold predictions every year on rotowire very well received one of our our most popular columns every year uh and you do it division by division uh your Mm -hmm. al central one just came up uh you've done the al east and nl east and i gotta start right off the top with nl east uh because michael harris is a hot button guy on Twitter. A lot of people love him. I'm loyal to him. He was he, he was a hell of a pickup for me last year. Thank you, James Anderson. Uh, but I under I recognize there are flaws with him, and you're worried mm-hmm. about him, and you don't even have him in your top seventy five. Well. So to, to put context around the series, you know, I've been doing this. Yep. The first guy that I ever said anything about was JJ Hardy. So that puts the series in context. Is uh, how long you know, the, like the what if scenarios uh, with this? And you know, there's been a lot of talk. I heard the other day uh, on on rates and barrels. Eno and DVR were talking about like the 20th, 80th percentile outcomes with the Red Sox. And it was a good article today on The Athletic about that very team and topic. And that's kind of where I look at here. It's like, okay, you may expect the 80th percentile, but what if the 20th percentile kind of comes out? And so I'd like to try looking at the the, the fringes of the, the possibilities. And with Michael Harris, you know, like you said, there's a ton of credit because he was higher than anybody else last year. And I know a few people that were like, hey, man, if you ever see James, please tell him I said thank you because I drafted him because I, I would. So when I look at that, you know, we're all familiar with the, the sophomore slump. It hits some guys. It doesn't hit some guys. Uh, but 
you know, two things in particular stood out to me with Michael Harris II. One is the the righty lefty splits. Now they're they're not linear stickiness, so he could turn around and hit lefties this year. But last year he really didn't. There was a pretty large split. That said, it's not going to take him out of the lineup because the defense is too good. They're going to leave him in there uh, regardless. Yeah. So if if he doesn't get any better against lefties, that pulls the batting average down because he's going to have to stay in there against those guys. Uh, and if he does, like last year, he was hitting high in the lineup every day. Uh, and if the whole lineup in Atlanta is healthy against lefties, that puts Harris down in the bottom of the lineup. So it's going to cost him some plate appearances. And then when you look at the the walk minus strikeout, there's a big disparity between that. And I listed in the article uh, a number of guys at that age that Harris is at and other guys that have had lower profiles and where things went and the outcomes were all over the place. Uh, and so if we think, could he get better? Possibly. But in the, in the outcomes of, of players that are equally talented, there's some that got uh, markedly worse. Uh, and so you have to have that. That has to be on the table with Harris. You can't just say he was awesome. This is a five-tool skill set. He could be awesome again. Um, much like you know, the conversation you and Fred had, I was listening to it last night. He right. talked about Grossby. You know, you're so right on a guy. You want to believe he's going to do it again, and, and you don't want to hear the noise. Like, he, maybe he won't. Uh, so that's what I'm saying here with Harris. I wasn't in on him last year because I just didn't get to him. Uh, plus, I do more AL than NL. But the volatility with the youth and the skills and the splits is enough for me to back off where his current market value is. You know, and I, I think it's a good point. And it's funny, looking at your list, there's some big misses and some big hits on this list for that. Uh, for for the uh, you have a chart here with the uh, the walks minus K percentage uh you know percentages list and I mean, people in his neighborhood you know john carlos stanton's in there in 2012 uh eloy in 2019 but you also have like jonathan scope you have victor robles who you know collapsed oh boy <laughs> noteworthy is we have two other huge rookies from this class massive rookie class by the way amazing rookie class but julio rodriguez and bobby witt are also on this list Yes. Uh, and, you know, Fred did a great I, I love the conversation you guys had about Bobby Witt Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the risk. And that's going to come up when we talk about Julio. When I write up Julio Rodriguez, I haven't done the the AL West ones yet, but he is the guy that I'm looking at for the same type of reason. Uh, but I love the conversation you guys had on the last podcast uh, about why. Bobby Wood Jr. was somebody that Fred wasn't willing to take in the first round. I thought he did an excellent job of of laying out his case. Can we uh, just surmise that you won't be taking J-Rod top five? Uh, we could surmise that, yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> good note. Also, note, noteworthy intel research here for Tout Wars, uh, where we play each other. But exactly, have. it is OVP, <laughs> so it might be a little bit different there. But, uh, yeah, uh, it, it is noteworthy there. Julio, despite that, still had a 345 OBP despite that uh, disparity in K to walk. Just shows how much he struck out, especially early on. He struck out. Um, it was brutal. Early on, man, it, and so many people made a thing. like It seemed like he was getting initiation uh, by the umpire saying, you know what, son? We think you're going to be awesome, but guess what? Uh, you know, Right now, it's a learning experience. Let's see how you handle it. Because he was getting every call go against him early on. It was Yeah, it we was have receipts on that. Watch. Yeah, absolutely. That's the beauty of today's baseball is – it's not just us guessing. Oh, okay, he's getting squeezed, or he, you know, he's having this. The pitcher is getting squeezed, or this young, young rookie hitter is not getting the calls. We can see it. It's mm-hmm. it's right there. You know, we have data. Uh, we have MLB itself, MLB.com. You know, with the you know you know every pitch, you can see how it's been right. called. And you have all these now trackers on umpires and all that. It, it it's really amazing. Uh, I wonder if there's like a someone has done the research to do a cross section between that umpire tracker and how they do with rookies generally. I mean, I, I, I got to wonder there's certain umpires that probably are that way. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe some of those guys recently retired. Uh, Joe West. Uh, so I, you know, who knows where it goes, but that's it. That would be a very interesting article topic uh, to say, Hey, you know, here, you know, if you're, especially if you're like DFS play, who's behind the plate, who's on the mound, all that rookies up there, or you're trying to look at, leaning into, you know, the 2000, 2023 version of Julio Rodriguez uh, in early lineups, you know, maybe you don't want to do that because the, the data shows that these guys tend to lean against those guys. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, Ruggie Odor sitting right there as a, as a nice object lesson. Of course, even in his good year, he had a 296 OBP. So, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's wild to see that. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I always uh, – 
always good to have a cautionary note. Um, on the flip side for Atlanta, you're pumping up a little Dylan Lee. Um, I shouldn't say that too loud because I'm almost on the clock in my strat league and I'm looking to add him, but, uh, <laughs> you know, pretty late. But, uh, you know, he, he was good all year last year, but just didn't have the role. Yeah, and that so I look at it, you know, he had five wins last year. And like last year, Tim Meza was one of the guys that I wrote up in this capacity saying, you know, he may not have the role, but there's going to be opportunities for him to have value in that middle relief. And that's exactly what happened with Meza. The ratios, good amount of strikeouts, and he had some wins <clears throat> and pardon me, and a handful of saves too. So that, you know, when I look at what Dylan Lee, one of the things that stood out when I looked at the data was his whiff rate on his pitches were was top five I mean, overall. He could get the swing and miss. And there was a lot of, you know, no, there's a lot of depth in that Atlanta bullpen. But I'm going to let that play out. Like you said, you want to take him in a strat league. I, I believe I did two different draft champions over the last couple of weeks, but I believe in the first pitch Arizona league that you and I are in together. I believe I took him around round 45 or 46. I know I took him in one of these. I'm in two different right now, and I don't recall which one, but I did take him late um, as somebody. I'm also, if I write about a guy like this, I am very likely to roster him. It's not one of these things where I'm saying, hey, take a look at Dylan Lee, and then I don't try to target him uh, with that. But it was just intriguing to go back and look. I wrote him up a little bit in depth back in August along with Alex Lang uh, when I did that piece early on. But it's like one of these things where I'm looking at it right now is ADPs in the 700s. So, you know, he's out there extremely late. If you're in a deep mix league or an NL league, you know, I'm not talking active reserves or even watch list, put them on your watch list, see what happens um, with it. But the skills there kind of, kind of uh, look like the type of reliever that if dominoes fell, we're like running and throwing fab dollars on him because all of a sudden he's getting saves. Now, a lot of things would have to happen for that to happen in Atlanta, but Dylan Lee still has value in his current shape. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Atlanta's going to win a lot of games. So, I, Rizal Iglesias isn't going to save every one of them, even if everything goes right with him. Uh, right. There's going to be, uh, you know, that, that there's going to be a lot, lot of different ways that we can, uh, you know, you know we, we can envision him got, kind of working himself into the mix there. So, I, I can see it for sure. By the way, for people unfamiliar with uh, Draft Champions League, that's a 15 team league, at least the one we were in, 50 rounds, 750 players. Uh, so yeah, it goes, or no, no, am I, is my math off on that? It usually is off. Yeah, no, it's right. It's right. It's right. 15 times five. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, it's deep, yes. very deep. Um, and yeah, guys like that, you know, you're just looking for skills, score sheet, same thing, any sort of SIM game where you don't even have to declare a closer or you don't have to have, you're not chasing saves. You're just looking for good pitchers. This is where this is really going to help you a lot. And like you said, save you on some fab dollars later, if you're in, like an NL-only league or even even in the 15-team mix, you never know what happens when, if and when Iglesias gets hurt or any any closer you know goes past his expiration date. I mean, those DCs are my favorite. Like last year, the one I ended up winning, I took in the 38th and 39th round, I took Stephen Kwan and Cal Raleigh. Uh, Ooh, and so I was get both those guys late, and that really helps. I, I, you know, over the final, I didn't even get in the first place until the final two and a half weeks of the season, and then I was able to hold on over the weekend. But it really does come down to a battle of attrition. I had ten healthy pitchers going into the final three weeks of the season. Like I had to start guys like Louis Sessa because I had nobody else. Everybody else was gone, so like I had to uh, do that. But getting guys late like that. Uh, is is the fun of the format. I love doing that because that's your roster. There's nothing else. Those are your 50 guys to go into battle with for the season. It's just a matter of how well you draft it and how well you manage your lineups. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, the earlier you draft, the better you can get guys like Quan. Because Quan actually got some upward mobility late in draft season when it became, as he had a great spring training and it became apparent he was going to make the team. Uh, if you drafted in February, though, you know, you could get him at the 38th, 39th round, or even later in many cases, if in a right. league that you weren't in, uh, at least. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out. See what year I took Isan Diaz with my 50th round pick. Let's go Giants. You know, put him in there at shortstop. Let's see what happens. Exactly. Uh, Miami Marlins. They, they've had some transition. They made a big trade for Luis Arias. They had some acquisitions last year in the free agent market, and it did not work out. Avisail Garcia was just terrible, just horrible. One of the worst, and, and, you know, I had Craig Mish on Sirius XM uh, a week ago or so, and he was talking about that mm-hmm. might've been the single worst free agent signing last year. Jorge Soler wasn't better, but he was also hurt a lot. People are forgetting about him this year though. 
Yeah, that's right. And the funny, it's funny you mentioned obviously El Garcia because that's who I had in this column last year, uh, and it did go it did go poorly. And I should have remembered uh, the sage advice of our friends Glenn and Rick. You know, big contract, new city, stay away. Uh, and with Solera, that came into play. Remember, he was the late signee as well, yeah. and then he ended up he had core problems. He had they thought it was a quad. Then it was, I believe, when I read up, it was something some type of pelvic injury. I mean, you can't just try to try to go through a swing and you have injuries in that part of your body. It's going to be tough to do that. That said, Solaire still hits the ball incredibly hard. Uh, you know, even before he got that injury, which said settled in in mid May, he still hits the ball hard, and you can't give up on that power, especially on that team. Uh, you know, he could, his current market, when I wrote this, his ADP was still outside the top 300. That's one of those ones I expect to rise as we get you know, into spring training and whatnot, and we see what he's doing uh, in, in camp. Because the lineup spot, if he's going to hit third, fourth, or fifth, the RBIs should be there for him. Getting Luis Arias in the lineup certainly will help set the table a little better uh, for that. But you know, this, we saw what we saw what Soler was capable of. Once he had that change of scenery, you go back and look in uh, in the collect calls column. I wrote about him when he was still in Kansas City. Like, man, this is begging for a change of scenery. Let's get a trade. It didn't happen. He went to Atlanta and helped take them all the way through the World Series um, with what he's capable of. So I'm he's one of those like last year's garbage guys. Everybody's out on him. I want to yeah. be back in in a big way this year. Yeah, I mean, he's still the same guy that hit the World Series winning home run a couple years ago. And, you know, the thing about him, too, is uh, aside from his little his time in Atlanta, he's played in a lot of tough parks. He played in KC for a while and hit for a lot of power there. So the fact that he's in Miami doesn't disqualify him. So right. uh, I, 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 I like that one a lot. Uh, meanwhile, you also like Braxton Garrett. And after the Pablo Lopez deal, his path to a spot in the rotation is a little clearer. Yeah, I mean, with with Garrett, he doesn't blow you away with you know the raw stuff, but the slider ends up being really good. And you, if you watch, you sit down and watch some video of him, and the slider's a really good pitch. What I like about him is he's a throwback to some of the old school guys, where he doesn't have the the big velocity, but he's all around the strike zone. And he's throwing four to five different pitches depending if it's a righty or a lefty. So he's keeping guys off the toe and, and more. You know, growing up, I was a huge fan of Jimmy Key. I loved watching Jimmy Key pitch because he was that type of guy that was in and out, up and down in the zone, changing speeds. Yeah. Uh, and watching Garrett with the slider is just like, hey, as long as he's ahead in the count, he can throw that pitch and really keep batters on the defensive. So that's what I like about him. And, and uh, with, with Lopez uh, going away, there's opportunity for Garrett to be there. Now, I don't think he's a front end of the rotation type of guy. I think he's ultimately back half type of guy. But that said, there's still some upside in there that what didn't really come through as much last year. But I encourage people to go watch some of the video on Baseball Savant. Just click through some of the random videos and watch some of his uh, watch some of his pitches to some hitters and, and how he keeps them off balance. I was just really impressed watching some of that and watching some of the video clips uh, in longer clips. Indeed. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I was a fan of Jimmy Key, too. I always love the crafty lefty since I'm a crafty right. lefty, uh, albeit with <laughs> – Far diminished skills. Uh, you know, getting in the 60s was my uh, peak probably there. Not Same. era, but miles per <laughs> hour. Um, I'm not going to go through every player in your NL East article, but I have one more guy I want to bring up. He's a uh, – it's a sequel. It's Bryson Stott. Uh, you're big on him again. Um, you were on him last year, and now you're bumping up your expectations for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I do like him about him is the that he's able to use both sides of the plate. I was impressed with how he – bounced back. I mean, he got off to a miserable start, absolutely miserable. Uh, and then he was able to make a nice recovery in the second half. And that's what you want to see. You, you want to see when a young guy gets challenged like that, really for the first time in his professional career, how he handles failure. And he adjusted to that. And I feel like I'm, I'm talking Ian Khan language here about like what happens off the field. Cause Ian's a huge fan of that type of thing, but it was just impressive to watch his, his growth at the plate both watching them and then statistically in the second half to see what what's there. And with Bryce Harper out for a little bit, uh, you know, third half, however long he's going to be out, you know, when we look at how the, how it's going to play out, there's opportunities for Stott to play in different spots of the lineup. And so I'm intrigued because again, ADP, he's still hanging out outside the top 200 but with that versatility and upside. I still believe there's more value there in him. Yeah, I do too. I grabbed, did I grab him in R? Our league, or did I grab him in another uh, NFPC 50? I, 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 I'm definitely in on Stott. You know, the playing time is going to be there. 
Uh, even when Harper gets back, I think the playing time will be there. And I think he, you know, he's, he's solid up the middle for them. He's going to play second with with Turner at short, obviously, but still, I I like that. He's got the multi-position eligibility. I'm in on him too. I like Bryson Stott. Uh, we're going to move on to the AL East, but before we do that, uh, I've got to share a quick note from our friends at underdog. The fantasy baseball season is underway and there's no better place to play than underdog fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball right now. Underdog has MLB Best Ball Tournaments live, including The Dinger, which has $500,000 in total prizes. In Best Ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex. Don't have to go that deep on this one, folks. It's uh, it, it's a quick Fun draft to do. I love Underdog for that. Just hop in one all the time. You got all those line dra- live drafts. Getting started there is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with the promo code RWMLB. And not only will Underdog double your initial deposit up to $100, but you also get six months of our RotoWire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy. Promo code RWMLB. Draft your $100,000 dinger team today. I'm here with Jason Collette. We're doing his bold prediction series. Uh, just the, the uh, AL Central just went up live on the site. We'll hit the AL Central shortly. Uh, but I want to go over to the AL East. And I got to start in on a guy that I like the signing. Uh, I like it. It's a, it. It was a pretty big signing. The Yankees going out and getting Carlos Rodon. But as you cite from our good friends, Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf, uh, don't pay for free agents in the first year of their contract in a new place. Does it have to be a new place, by the way? Can it be just a new contract, in, but you stay home? Uh, the new place is the multiplier from what I, you know, having a conversation yeah. with them previously, they, they said it's a little bit less if it's just a big contract and they're staying home, it's not as bad, but the new contract, new paycheck and new location is the big multiplier there. Uh, and sure. so one of the things I did was just like include, Hey, here are the free agents that have signed at least three year deals and looking on the return on investment. And you know, when we look at the chart, the pictures that we've had recently, Max Scherzer, Kevin Gaussman, Marcus Stroman, John Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, Yusei Kukuchi, Stephen Matz, uh, and the, the average return on investment with those guys is about $2. Max Scherzer is like way at the top of the pack, but even he wasn't a $20 pitcher in his first yeah. year coming out of that contract. Uh, so it's like if you're looking at Carlos Rodon, I think it would be fair to say um, he's closer to the Max Scherzer than Kevin Gossman in that range. But that's what we're looking at. When I look over, Gossman was, he earned, I think, $11 in his first year with Toronto, and then Scherzer was 19 So let's say you know, Rodon's a $17 pitcher. Uh, and I'm saying this as somebody who ended up taking him in the fourth round in the FPAS League because I kind of had to at that point. Starting pitching was really running. And that's something else I want to bring up. Just because I say something that I'm not crazy about doesn't mean I'm completely out on a guy. Sure. Uh, sure. You know, the circumstances dictated, I kind of had to. And when I looked at that, I thought Rodon was clearly the best guy left at that point. And that's why I took him. But it, I wasn't crazy about taking the pick because I'd already written this and published this saying, you know, I'm not really excited about him. But given what was left in the pool, I'm not going to be that stubborn and be like, nope, sorry. I said no. You I'm- got- to the max pick, though you didn't you didn't pay the you know the average price or even let alone the min price. I mean, you got him a little bit later, so I mean that that changes things a little bit. You know, Gossman's interesting because for half the season he was way up there. He remember he had that amazing streak earlier in the year, just kind of wore down. Yep. Um, coincidentally, that's when the Jays started facing their AL East brethren a lot more too, uh, <laughs> and I think that had a lot to do with it. I wonder, all these AL East pitchers, we talked about this in our article uh, that we did on the rule changes for 2023. A big one is the balanced schedule. Instead of 19 games against each AL East team, they'll have 13 games against each AL East team. Yeah, yeah. when you guys were talking about that most recent podcast, like that was an article idea I wanted to have because you mentioned, like, hey, I wonder what the impact's going to be there. And, and to me, I've always, you know, gut feeling – when you when you pitch, sometimes you're pitching three, four times against the same opponent in the same year. Right. Yeah. What's the film of uh, familiarity? Can never say that word easily. But what's the familiarity that comes out about in that? Like that third and fourth start, do you get smacked around, or the fact that you dominate them the first two times? It's like they know what's coming. Uh, so I think like that's an article idea I'd like to go back and look at and say, okay, 
is there a possible upside to these guys not having to face sure. the same team four and sometimes even five? You go back and look at a year by year split, and sometimes a guy's facing, you know, I would say like a, a Tyler Wells is facing Boston twice, uh, but there could be somebody like Kyle Bradish who's faced him four or five times in the same season. It all depends on how it goes down. So I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out. It's just one of those other new factors we have to worry about this year. Yeah, and we didn't really touch on that aspect in the article. I did refer to two of your other columns about the uh, the stolen bases in particular. I leaned mm-hmm. on pretty heavily there. So, um, And you wrote that in September. I mean, you were on that. Uh, it's one of the issues you've been on top of. Uh, I, I love seeing that there. It's great. I could refer to you and Todd for you know a lot of the stuff uh, that I was, was discussing because you guys are putting a lot of thought into it there too. Uh, and the thing is, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of the times it's the angle that you're viewing. Um, it's the, you know, seeing that pitch, you know, it's like, it's, it's hitting is such a visual thing. You know, you can go in simulators, you can see certain types of pitches, but seeing it out of that particular pitcher's hand, mm-hmm. five at bats, 10 at bats, 15 at bats in the same year. I mean, I'm, I gotta imagine it can help and that it can help the hitter and hurt the pitcher. Right. That's it. That's one of those. It's going to be fun to watch during the year because conversely, then you're going to see some guys coming over in the, and then maybe the first exposure. I mean, often we see if a rookie gets called up, you know, sometimes these guys will come up and surprise uh, because nobody really has advanced scouting, like maybe a young guy in the team, like, Oh, I saw him in AAA. This is what he likes to do. But for the most part, you don't have too much unless an organization has gone out and invested in some of that video, but you may not have seen that guy except for maybe one appearance during spring training. Right. Uh, so it's one of those nuances of the game that I really enjoy because you know sometimes you can see that the veteran hitters will go up there against that rookie and like, okay, I, now I'm good. I just need one at bat against them. And maybe they go through the lineup the first time pretty easily. And the second time they get beaten around because now that they've seen what he's got once, like, okay, I'm good. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what makes the sport fun. Indeed. So Carlos Rodon, you're out at least at price, but not necessarily completely out. I think that's fair. Uh I like that he's left-handed, at least, that Rodon will benefit. You know, he won't have to deal with the short porch issues in right, right field as much as, you know, a right-handed pitcher might. Uh, let's stick into the division. I, I, don't, I don't know if you mentioned him in the article, but I want to bring him. You just alluded to him a little bit earlier, and that's Kyle Bradish. Yes, you did, actually. Um, that you're, He's a top 100 pitcher for you. You know, I like him a lot. Um, and darn it, I don't want you bringing him up because that was going to be one of my cheapies in Towers. And now I – but I also saw – you weren't the only one that brought him up. I, I also saw Vlad Sether bring him up, which, you know, one tweet just changes ADP there. So between the two of you, I'm, I'm yeah, not going to do it. Yeah, especially yeah. when it comes from him. But I wrote, up, I wrote up Radish back in November or December along with Josiah Gray. Uh, and to be clear, I like Radish much better than Gray right now. I, I, mm-hmm. I like watching Gray. I think there's still upside there. But I believe Bradish is closer to his right now. And so I wrote him up in length and rather than like rehash uh, in the article, I said, hey, go back and read what I wrote about in December with him, because it's very interesting to see what he did last year. And so, yeah, even if Vlad didn't, this would have been somebody like, if, you know, there's always some guy that you and me end up having bidding wars against. Oh, yeah. And this would have been it. Uh, much like uh, at uh, at XFL, I got into one with Ryan Bloomfield uh, with uh, – uh, Nick Gordon. Nick Gordon is somebody I have in the AL Central, and he told me afterwards, he goes, man, we were really hoping we were going to get him cheap at the end. And I was like, no, I like him as much as you do, if not more. So <laughs> that's yeah. what happened. But Bradish is right there in my wheelhouse as far as those young guys. I like to take a look at in the offseason and see what's there, and I really liked what I saw under the hood. I was just listening to James and Rob, yes, Rob D. Pietro yesterday talking up Nick Gordon, too, so it's kind of funny how that works. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be on him. I, I I just missed on him in my strat league. I'm bummed about that. You only get one, one bite of that apple. And, you know, it's, it's essentially a dynasty league. Uh, a pitcher in the A-Lease that you're not necessarily going to be paying up for is Alec Manoa. And it has nothing to do with his latest Twitter kerfluffle, uh, ba- you know, d- based on his physique brought up on MLB Network. But you have other reasons to be a little wary of him for the price. Yeah, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, the the one thing I had this concern coming into last year and it never really materialized. You know, he had never had that type of workload, you know, even in college uh, due to some of the issues. And and then in the minors uh, with with the pandemic and all, he had never had to shoulder the workload that he was projected to do last year. And frankly, he didn't show any worse for wear until the postseason start. That was really the first time where he didn't look 
Alec Manoa-ish. Uh, but then when I look and I put a graph to show like, hey, here are some you know, the pitchers, but they're left on base and they're bad. Bit, but here's, what, here's what it's been like the last couple of years. And there's Manoa and McKenzie and Julio Urias on the far left fringe. The group is pretty much grouped. And then there's those three guys all the way out there. And then I can't help but uh, think back to the early success that Jeremy Hellickson had the first couple of years. You know, we used to jokingly call him the strand man because he would strand 80 plus percent of his base runners the first two years and right. get a soft contact. You know, like, man, how is he doing this? And then the one year we are like, all right, fine. We're believing he can do this. And he blew up in a big way. He had like a 517 ERA and things went south for him. And so with with Manoa, with the success that he's had in those two areas in particular, I have to like at least put the caution out there. Maybe you want to tap the brakes a little bit because a, he's coming now. He's finally coming off the big workload. We never had to see him come off a big one. Now he's coming off a huge workload, and he's had he's had a lot of statistical fortune the last couple of years. It's not to discredit anything about the way he. I mean, I'll, he's a great guy to watch pitch. The slider is just filthy, um, but he's had a ton of success, and we really haven't seen any failure yet. And that's why I'm just like when you look at how Frank everything comes and perhaps this is the year that he takes that turn back to the middle after two years of a lot of outlier success. Key stats for Manoa. Uh, the left on base percentage went from 76.6% to 82.6%. Babbitt was 245. Mm-hmm. K percentage dropped from 27.7% to 22.9%, albeit that it was accompanied by a drop in his walk percentage from 8.7% to 6.5%. You do like seeing that. Maintained the ground ball rate, uh, dropped his home run percentage too. The home run per nine went from 0.97 to 0.73. Ground ball, fly ball remained the same. So he, you know, he wasn't getting, giving up that many homers, but the drop in strikeouts does concern me a little bit. I don't know how the ballpark changes in Rogers center are going to play specifically for him. Uh, The higher walls, but moved in in some places, plus some just quirky asymmetrical stuff is going to happen there. Flip side is they're going to have better outfield defense with Kiermaier for this 37 games that he's healthy and Dalton Varsho. Yeah. I mean, that again, I keep referring back to the conversation you and Fred had, but he, you know, he made the, there's no plan B type of thing. It's like, if they were going to make all these changes in the outfield, why did they sacrifice as much offense? Like with Teoscar, I mean, getting Dalton Varsho is certainly nice, uh, but Kevin Kiermaier is not a great hitter. He just isn't. He's an awesome defensive guy, but you can't count on him to stay out there on the field. Um, right. with that but a point you just brought up that's worth mentioning is it's like did Alec Manoa lower his home run rate because let's not forget in 2021 they were a nomadic team they were playing in minor league stadiums with yes. very friendly dimensions um, and then they, they came out of that and then they went to Rogers Center which was normal and they got and he got Camden Yards with the new dimensions there so did Manoa lower his home run rate or did he just benefit from the change of circumstances and Wait, now those there's more too because we don't know which ball they were using you know, were they using the Yankee ball or are they using the mush ball? You know, you really don't know. I mean, I hate this. I hate that we're worrying. It's the year 2023 of our Lord. and We don't know what baseball we're going to be using in a given year. So <laughs> hate that. Hate it. It drives me up a wall. Uh, so you can we're, we're talking about Jason Collette's bold predictions article. That was part of his AL East bold predictions article. If you don't already subscribe to RotoWire, please do so. And if you want to check us out for free first, you can take a peek behind the paywall. Rotowire.com slash try. Check that out. Uh, no credit cards required. All you have to do is put in a valid email address and go. We'll ask you if you want to subscribe when it, when it expires, but that's it. That, you know, there's none of this automatic subscription stuff. Rotowire.com slash try. Uh, before we move on to the AL Central, I want to share a quick note from our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is on board for the, uh, the season here. And we've used fan tracks before for a number of our leagues. I've used them for college football. I've used them for baseball. We've used them for Tout Wars for their auction room. We use them for a lot of different places. Uh, you can check it out. But basically, the, 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 key, the big thing for them here is that it's a customizable platform. It has the biggest, deepest list for players. It's great. Any sort of player in a keeper, dynasty, redraft, best ball league, it's there. If you're coming from another service, fan tracks makes it easy. You can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed. Uh, they offer the most in-depth player pool, as we mentioned. Um, it's a customizable service for your league. Waivers, categories, scoring system, schedule, all of that is customizable for them, and it's free. You can sign up for free today and be entered to win an mm-hmm. official MLB signed jersey 
from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Guerrero Jr. Easy for me to say. Simply go to fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X dot com slash rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Also, all of our podcasts are on the Blue Wire Network. We are happy to be part of the Blue Wire Network. So happy. We're going to play their ads right here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for your indulgence with that. Thank you to the Blue Wire Network for hosting us. I'm here with Jason Collette. Uh, you can follow Jason on Twitter. You can read at Jason Collette, C-O-L-L-E-T-T-E. Uh, and, of course, you can read him on Rotowire. You can hear him on the Sleeper and Bus podcast over at Fangraphs as well. Uh, and you'll see him at Tout Wars. Looking forward to that. Jason, let's hit the mm-hmm. AL Central. Uh, this is where you, you celebrated Kwanzaa last year. Uh, wh- what do we got going on from the Guardians this year? Ah, uh, from the this year, what I really like is the resurgence of Josh Bell. Uh, you know, Josh Bell, the last time I had him in this bold prediction series was when he had the big year for Pittsburgh. Uh, and I believe him landing in Cleveland in the middle of that lineup is going to be huge for him. I mean, he had that 100, I think 116 RBI season that year for Pittsburgh, but he hasn't broken the, the 90 uh, RBI plateau since. And I, I believe he's in for a big year this year. This year looking with Steve, with Stephen Kwan there with Ahmed Rosario and Jose Ramirez in front of him the opportunities are there for him I mean last year Josh Naylor had as many RBIs as he did even though he wasn't even the full-time cleanup guy he only hit cleanup like 70 something times last year and he wasn't in there all the time against lefties but he had one of the highest percentages of base runners on base when he was at the plate uh, last year. And a lot of that came from hitting behind that trio last year. And that's the, that's the spot that Josh Bell gets to inherit. And Josh Bell doesn't get taken out of the lineup. As long as he's healthy, Josh Bell's playing 155 plus games. So he's going to have the opportunity to get in there and hit with one, two, possibly all three of those guys on base uh, at times. And I believe he's in for a big RBI season. The, the home runs, the, the, the 2019 was obviously, you know, is what it was. Uh, that's not there, but the RBI chances should be there a plenty for him uh, now that he's in this. Now, the risk we run is the, you know, the whole new contract, new place type of thing. But I would have to believe that Josh Bell's a little familiar with that, the way he's had to move around the last couple of years. So yeah. this is first time. This is his relocation in the last, what, year and a half, two years. And so it's uh, maybe that's an old, old hat for him now at this point. But I love the landing spot uh, here for him and his ADP, you know, at, at 177 with a min of 151. Um, I don't believe is truly reflecting his upside. 
You know, it's interesting to me that his range is pretty tight. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think people are, there are people on him, you know, one, you know, like you said, 151 to 194, that's not a big range for players in that sort of area. I mean, he, it's, it's pretty tight. I think, you know, he, he's like, if you wait on first baseman, he's a good guy to go ahead and get. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a little uh, martelium though. Uh, he seems like strikes me as the type of guy that savvy people are going to be on. Um, so we'll, we'll watch and see track that uh, ADP because the NFFC provides great data as far as that goes. Best oh, yeah. sorting ADP options you can po- possibly find out there. I, you didn't mention him in the article, but I got to get your take on Oscar Gonzalez. I don't know what to, to, to but feel with him. I mean, the, the skills are there, but again, that youth volatility, he's somebody that I enjoyed on one of my squads last year. Uh, but it's, you know, he was one of the guys that had cleanup last year. They liked it so much. He had cleaned up 24 times last year. They had, they kept trying to find somebody to put behind Jose Ramirez uh, with there. So it, it views on how the club, how the club views him rather uh, with that. But you know, I'm, I'm concerned about the youth volatility. I'm, you kind of want to balance that out. And I want to say one more thing about the ADP. When I do this, I look at the last 30 days uh, yeah. of this. I try to narrow it down uh, this time of year because if you do two weeks, it gets way too narrow. So I do last 30 days of every one of these articles. So this one in particular um, was for the entire month of January because I, I uh, it published today, but I ended, I was putting the final touches on it um, today's third Tuesday night. Uh, so that's where the ADP data is. So on all of these, it's been the last 30 days at the time that article was written. Nice. Uh, I love the fresh powder here too. Uh, getting, uh, you know, getting that. And you know, in about a month after the Super Bowl, those draft that that your data pool will just double yeah. up really quickly, so yep. you don't have to go as as far back. Correct. Uh, yeah, I got two week windows after Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, which is always nice. Uh, sticking with the Guardians, uh, you like Cody Morris a lot, making it his opportunity for making an impact this year. Yeah, it's the Cody Morris thing. I mean, Cleveland deserves all the respect in the world for what they get out of their pitchers. I mean, they just continue to churn like Milwaukee and their starting pitchers and what Tampa Bay gets out of their relievers. It's like but Cleveland keeps doing this. They, the, the Cleveland pitching factory just continues to produce guys and makes the most out of things. And with Cody Morris, he's already got a lot of good skills. And I love the changeup. I love a righty that's got a type of changeup that Morris has and the opportunities are there. I mean, when you look at the back ends of that rotation, Cal Quantrill and Zach Plesak aren't roadblocks. They are just like placeholders uh, for now. And there's a chance that Morris really then comes into Morris is with, you know, how much workload can he handle? But for the time being, they can put him in that middle relief role uh, and let him log some innings there to build some stuff up. But this is a prime example of somebody that I'm looking at what he can do, what he, what he's already doing now, and I'll worry about wh- how he gets to do it later because uh, the skills are there for him for him to materialize rather nicely if the opportunities in front of him open up. Indeed. Let's move on to Detroit um, where I wasn't on this player, but you were, I believe, and I know your friend, our friend and colleague, Paul Sporer was. Every time we think we're out on Akil Badu, they keep pulling us back in. Why are you uh, bullish on Akil Badu this year? They got nothing else. Uh, in, in, all, in all seriousness, you know, it was what he did in the way I phrase this in the article, you know, what he did as a rule five guy in 2021 was as amazing as last year was frustrating for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were like, wow, if this guy can have this kind of success coming up from a ball and doing this, you know, let's see what he can do. And then last year he did nothing. I mean, you talk about Robbie Grossman, how bad he was, but it was worse than that uh, with that. But the one thing, but dude, there's a couple of things he can still do. He still hits the ball hard and he still runs really fast. And like one of the things in digging around uh, on baseball savant, you know, we often look at sprint speed and, and look at that as a potential source of stolen bases, but the work that Jeff Zimmerman did. And I talked about this at first pitch Arizona and wrote about it in that steals article it's actually the home to first base time is the better indicator of hidden steel source. And Badu right. is second in the league. Only Otani is quicker down the line. So that's how fast, that's how fast Badu is. Uh, and so he gets in. So when he does get on base, he actually does run. Um, but the problem was last year, he was 64% successful. So that's, you know, he's got to get better in that, in that capacity, but the raw speed is there. And Jeff's recent work, he wrote a piece last week that talked about spots in the lineup that are productive to stolen bases and hitting down there at the bottom, either being first, seventh, eighth, or ninth is an opportunity to for stolen bases. So if you start nine and then you move up, 
that's even better for you. And so, but it was starting from the bottom, trying to work his way up top. And when you look at that price, the price he's at, you know, ADP is 460. Um, he is firmly in the reserves and um, not even being drafted in some of the shallower formats uh, because of this. But, you know, we're not that far removed from success. Um, the skills are still there. And it's tough to quit on this speed because if the, the changes in the running game, if all this stuff, all this stuff plays out, he has the skills that could take advantage of that. And so reserve rounds, I I, I want to make room for a guy like this because he's shown the, the success at the plate and I'm not ready to give up on him because many a fantasy manager has been burned on that guy's dead to me. He screwed me right. last year, not touching him. And then somebody else enjoys that success. You're like, oh man, why did I quit on him? So this is a good example of a guy I don't want to quit on just yet. Right. You take the, take the chrysalis he owes me approach as opposed to the dead to me <laughs> approach. Uh, plus the fences are moving in and uh, center field and they're being lowered and right and right center. So that's another that's reason. To, yeah, as as Badu is a lefty, that helps him a little bit. Helps right. Riley Green. Not a whole lot of lefties in that Detroit lineup, but both of those guys could be helped. And Austin Meadows as well, I, I suppose. Uh, what do you make it, Austin Meadows? Former Ray, now a Tiger, had major injuries, dealt with depression a little bit last year as well. Um, yeah. Are you back in on him, or is are, are you just going to take a kind of a root form, but not on my roster sort of approach? The latter approach. I mean, I'm, I'm having a very tough time believing a guy that was essentially out of baseball all last year dealing with what he did is going to be able to come back and make a good uh, and make an impact. Uh, right now, I see him projected at the top of the lineup, which to me is mind blowing. Uh, a, because he doesn't hit lefties. You know, he's, mm -hmm. he should not be in there every day. Uh, it's something he struggles against. Uh, and that's where I, I think I even wrote, I do mention that with Badu, because right now the projected lineup is at the top. It's it's Meadows and it's Javier Baez. And Badu is better than both of those guys in getting on base. Uh, and so it, that's where the opportunity for Badu is there. But for Meadows, I want him to succeed. I'd like to see him bounce back from everything that he's had to deal with at the same time. It's just a really tough uphill climb to take that much time off of baseball and then try to jump back in uh, and have the level of success that he has, you know, uh, that Meadows has previously displayed. He's been a really talented hitter. Uh, you know, he was a big part of the Rays postseason push, uh, but you know, the, the trade, you know, at, at first when they made that trade, I was like, Ooh, wow, that's, that's rough. But Harold Ramirez has been good too. Uh, on this end and uh, so we'll see where it goes i'm hoping it succeeds but at the same time he's probably going to do it on somebody else's roster yeah uh it's wild to see that isak paredes was uh, more valuable thank you that's the one yeah i was i always for some reason i always mix the two names up but yeah paredes when that well um, they're both former tigers on the race uh being true. productive so there yes. you go uh but uh, it's wild uh i've got more race questions for you but first we're going to finish out the tour of the al central brady singer Really good second half last year. Weird start to the season where they actually sent him down for a little bit. Uh, but he's good. He's a good pitcher. It's like one step away type of thing. Like if he could get a more effective off-speed pitch, he could really take off. The sinker and slider are great. If you watch him pitch, I got to see him a couple of times uh, in the second half. I saw him. There was a, I mentioned this in the article. He had back-to-back -back starts where he struck out 10 and 12 against Tampa Bay and New York. I happened to watch both of those games. Uh, I was just impressed, like the ball's coming to home plate and, oh, that's going to be a sinker. Nope, it's slider. And like how those pitches are tunneled and, and how he uses them. But if he could come up with an effective off-speed pitch, that could really take off. And, you know, Royals fans are probably nodding in approval on this, but Cal Eldred was not a good pitching coach for them. And there was no. a lot of stuff written about it. And so they have a brand new pitching coach who embraces analytics and Matt Quattaro brought him in. And so it's like you got two coaches, one coming from uh, Matt Quattaro comes out of the Rays family. He brings in the pitching coach, um, Sweeney, Brian Sweeney, had to remember his name, brings him in from Cleveland, from the Cleveland Pitching Factory. Seems you like a good place to grab one. Together. Yeah. Sorry. Seems like a good, as, as good a place, a fertile ground as ever to hunt from. So. Not exactly. Bad. That's what I, I was excited to see. Okay. You got that mindset and you got like, okay, Hey Brady, this is what you're doing. Well, if you, we can just unlock this one thing for you, it could really take off for him. Uh, and so if that comes into play, cause right now against righties and that's where it should be, it's sinker slider, sinker slider. But if he can get a third pitch, uh, it could get nasty uh, in a hurry. Uh, cause you watch him pitch. He's already good. He's already succeeding with two and a quarter pitches, two and a half pitches. He gets the three full pitches uh, and he could take another jump. You know they're an interesting team. Um, they're 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 halfway there. 
Yeah. They, they, they could be good. Uh, they, they, they've got some interesting names. Pasquantino, uh, of course, who I love. Uh, you know, Bobby Witt, everybody loves. Uh, I, I like MJ Melendez. But then you look at the bottom half of the lineup. You look at what they've, they've been able to do from the rotation. And, and it's like, oh, you, they could come quick, though, if they, if they fix the pitching thing. They, they spent so much draft capital on these arms in the draft and have had gotten so little return from them. Yeah. Uh, even in the minor league level, I mean, you look at like Asa Lacey and how uh, how he regressed so badly as a pro. Yeah. Like, what are they doing so egregiously wrong? I, I don't. There's been a lot written about it. I, w- I would say there's there there were few fans of Eldred. There were, I believe, Eno even wrote an article about Kansas City and the approach as a whole and how it wasn't working uh, too well, as you said, top down. So it'll be uh, really curious to see what Brian Sweeney's able to do at the major league level with the staff because they have some. You know, they have some talented pieces there. And if they can squeeze a little more uh, out of them and unlock some of the things that weren't being unlocked by uh, by Cal Eldred and the rest, it'll be it'll, it should be fun to watch. I would say it's it'd be a shame if all this young hitting talent and then somebody like uh, Michael Garcia at shortstop, if that if that materializes, how fun things could get for them. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the twins a little bit here. Uh, you alluded to it earlier. You're big on Nick Gordon. I am. Uh, I really liked what he was able to do in the second half. He starts, he's got more loft into his swing. He was, you know, he's always been able to hit the ball hard, but it, you know, Yandy Diaz syndrome, it was in the ground. Uh, right. And then last year, as things got on, he started getting more loft into the baseball uh, and really driving it and pulling it. It was impressive to watch what Nick Gordon was able to do in the second half. Uh, and when you look at the overall projections, you know, I put your projections, Derek, Cardi's, Steamer, and, and uh, Ariel Cohen's. I put those four. And right now, nobody projects him even as a full-time player. Um, with that, even with the trade of, of uh, Luis Arias, he's still projected and even being discussed as what Luis Arias was last year. If you remember coming into the year, Arias's draft uh, cost was 20, 23rd round around there because he didn't have a position. They said he was going to be a nomad. He's going to play a little bit here, a little bit there. They had a projected ninth in the lineup, which is what Gordon's projected right now. And then quickly, Arias was hitting leadoff and he was out there every day. Um, with that situation. So Gordon has the talent to be somebody that could have a double digit home run and stolen base season with more opportunity. And I was impressed with what I saw in the second half. Uh, And so starting an XFL, you know, $8 wasn't a huge cost considering inflation and everything that we deal with in that draft uh, to get him there. Uh, I know it's not going to cost me $8 to get him in in AL labor or AL Tau. It's going to cost more, even though those are two different formats, it's going to cost more because the market has moved up on him this winter with more and more people getting on board. Gordon and Kirilov both are going to cost more than they did before the trade. Uh, Kirilov has a path to playing time now too. I didn't like that trade for the Marlins. Um, I thought Arias, I mean, they traded him. I mean, this was the, Definition of sell high, I thought. More playing time than ever. Yes. Went perfectly in terms of the, uh, 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 like, you know, in terms of the batting average, winning the batting title and all that. Yes, we know he has that skill, but what else does he do? You know, he's not a good fielder. It's really kind of, you know, they, they, he played so many games because he played first base a lot. That's not right. going to happen too much with the Marlins. I and, and they got Pablo Lopez and prospects from that. I, if you did this trade a year ago, we'd be howling. How could you give up Pablo Lopez for this punch and Judy hitter? That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, so it was, yeah. I mean, credit to Minnesota for selling high, and I was I would say shame on Miami for tipping their hat. I mean, back in September they came out and said we want more high contact hitters. Yeah. That, those were the words from the GM. I want we're looking for a more contact lineup. They went out and got the highest contact guy in the game last year and had to pay a pretty penny for it because it's what they said they wanted. It's like playing poker with your cards backwards. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, hey, I mean, and they, it's partially because they struck out on trying to get all their, uh, like, get all the free agents that they could, they're trying to get, like uh, Jose Abreu, they couldn't get other, they were in the market for some of the other free agent hitters out there. Couldn't get any of them. And, you know, right. Couldn't, wouldn't, you know, depends on how you clarify that there. What are you offering? I mean, that's always the thing, right? So uh, exactly. there you go. Uh, let's finish with your raise. Um, one guy that was mentioned in your AL East bold predictions article, but I just want to talk about them. Generally, he's one of the guys that got paid this offseason. They didn't have any big offseason acquisitions, but they kept their mm-hmm. own. Um, and they don't always do that. They uh, and I would I would also say they haven't had any big season uh, offseason acquisitions yet. 
But I would also raise the fact that they added CJ Crone the year they added him. They actually added him in the middle of February, right before camp. And so they have, they've done a couple of times, they've added guys during February and during March. I mean, I mentioned Harold Ramirez erroneously earlier, but that was an example of somebody they added late in camp who ended up having a factor. So they really do play the slow game in some of these things. But in this case, with with they went out and extended Yanni Diaz, but Pete, Pete Fairbanks was the one. And when you're talking about how the Rays have just run through relievers as they have in previous years, it's kind of shocking to see them invest in a reliever, especially one that's had two Tommy John surgeries uh, and missed a good chunk of last year uh, with uh, with an oblique injury. So he's had a questionable health. But last year, he really took off. Uh, it was it was fun to watch him pitch because you know he's he's come up higher with his arm angle. And now he's now he's throwing that an eleven to five slider, and the and the arm angle change has really made his fastball ride. It, it was already something that he could throw upper nineties, um, touch a hundred, even go one on one every now and then. But it's got a lot of movement to it, and the a slider. If you're trying to catch up in that heat, you're sitting heat. The slider made a lot of guys look stupid last year. But when he yeah. came back from that that injury in the second half, he was you know shoving. It just he come out there, it was just boom, boom, boom. The funny thing was the very first pitch he threw of the season was a home run. He allowed it to Austin Hayes, and that was the only home run he allowed last year. Really? It was the very first pitch he threw uh, wow. with that. So it's uh, it was fun to watch him mature because when he first got him, he was traded straight up for Nick Solak. Um, and the funny thing was he had, when he pitched for Texas, the Rays beat him up. Uh, he came in and they hit a couple of homers off him. And then his first year, he couldn't throw strikes, mm -hmm. but he's gotten better and better and better with that. Uh, and – and he is like, to me, I see him being the primary closer. And I know it's funny to say for a team that has had 10 plus different pitchers get saves for what, four years now, even in the 60 game season, they had that many guys. Right. But, you know, they've, they've had primary guys, you know, Emilio Pagan was a primary guy. Diego Casillo was a primary guy. Andrew Kittridge before he got hurt was a primary guy. So they've had primary guys, but every season something's happened to those guys where it is, uh, where it's impacted them. So uh, for them to invest in him like this, to me, is them planting their flag like this is our guy. And they have other, I mean, Jason Adams certainly proved his worth and he was a very late acquisition last year. Um, Garrett Clevenger has some upside too. So they've got Colin Poche coming fully back from his Tommy John. So they've got some other options, but the fact that they put the, the financial investment in the Fairbanks to me says, this is the guy that we're coming out with. Um, now we're still going to have guys getting saves here and there, but this is going to be our primary guy. And I would honestly be surprised if Fairbanks didn't have the 20 plus saves this season. It's just so tough to trust Kevin Cash. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. In the name of Nick Anderson, I, I you know I say that, but uh, or all that, but you know, and not that Anderson's a, a factor. He's not even in the organization. He's right? in Atlanta now, but yeah. I mean, he just cleaned out. He was great. I mean, Nick Anderson when they acquired him was a great guy too. Yeah. Um, but you know, frankly, twenty twenty, they over he got overused in, in the playoffs. Yeah. And so was, it, you know, it was one of life's rich ironies blanks. that they tried to avoid overusing their starters <laughs> by overusing their reliever. Um, came back to haunt him, unfortunately. Sorry to bring yeah. that up. And, but, and there's there's written there's stuff written out there about that. Yeah, well, there's stuff written out there about that. that uh, you can't overuse your relievers in a in a short in a postseason series because the more exposure, as we were talking about earlier with starting pitcher. Well, if you see that same reliever four times in six games, you know what is you know what's coming. And then the fact that he was basically dragging his arm arm out there to the mound at that point his fastball velocity was down um to me that was the ultimate sin it wasn't pulling Blake Snell it was bringing in Nick Anderson in that moment that that moment for sure for sure I think there's a little bit of Blake Snell too but just you got to just judge how he's doing and not necessarily the pitch counter you know and all that but um yeah. it, the other issue with Fairbanks is health I mean he had the torn lat issue last year yeah. he's had Tommy John before He's a max effort reliever. I mean, that I guess health is an issue for most of those guys. So uh, it is. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's, it could be with any of it. No, go ahead. No, that's right. Go ahead. You're good. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it could be a health. And, and you know, I've referred to Jeff Zimmerman's work a couple of times. He had something uh, recently about the uh, pitcher, uh, the teams and then the of injury and Tampa Bay is rated rather highly uh, with such issues. They've acquired some of the guys they have, you know, you get Drew Rasmussen, a guy that had Tommy John surgery coming out of college. So they had, they've some guys with questionable health histories and have made the most out of them. I mean, when they got 
Rasmussen, I never envisioned him becoming the pitcher that he did last year. It was fun. It's been fun to watch the process. But when that trade, okay, you know, I guess trust the process and see where it goes. Fire Eisen didn't work out as well. He broke down. But Rasmussen's been at time for Fairbanks and then was struggling to hit and, and was seeing Solak have that good year for Texas. I didn't like the trade then. I love it now because Solak's in his third organization. Now he's going to try to play for your Reds um, this year. Yes. And and Fairbanks could be the primary closer. That epic Sol- Nick Solak versus Chad Pinder non-roster invitee job battle there. So uh, one, maybe both will even make the team, but probably <laughs> only one or the other. Um, and then there's Jeffrey Sp- Springs. I mean, they got him at, like as a claim, basically. I mean, they traded something, I think, after he was designated for assignment by the Red Sox. That's got to really sting if you're the Red Sox, seeing him go in division, you know, undervalued asset. Now he signs this big long-term <laughs> deal. Yeah, that was that's the fun way, and 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 that's how it works out. I remember when that trade happened uh, because the catching prospect Hernandez. Everybody's like, "Oh man, why we? Why is that part of the deal?" But it ended up working out. You know, they that's somebody that like we were talking earlier with Cody. How can we build up arm strength to get him in the rotation? Well, it's one of the things they did with Ras that raised it with Rasmussen, but then with Springs as well, because Springs was a reliever and they, they slowly right. built his way into the rotation. Uh, and then you saw him, you just saw his stuff take off. You know, the Rays have a way of doing things with pitchers and Kyle Snyder make the, the most of what they, uh, what they do well. And it certainly has worked uh, with Springs and it was really fun to watch him pitch because last year, his acquisition cost was like nothing. I remember I got him in the fifth round of my local AL only reserve draft. Uh, that's what it cost him. I don't remember where he went in tout or labor. Uh, maybe he was dollar days, but in my home league, which is a 10 team league, I got him in the fifth round of the reserves. Uh, and he was arguably my best pitcher. On- yeah, absolutely. He was awesome. Uh, just the thing is he doesn't throw especially hard. He doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, but he was good. He just was really good, and yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm trying to see if I can hurry up, see if I can find uh, the uh, you know the towers here to see uh, pull that up because you can find that on the site. I don't even know if he was drafted. I almost feel like he was a pickup, uh, so I'm 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 checking that out now. But uh, I got to make sure I get the AL though. Yeah, I'm um, myself if I didn't take him. Yeah, yeah, I want to say I did, but I had to pay for it. But I'm ashamed if I didn't. Man, I didn't. no, he was. He was not taken in the auction or the draft or the reserve draft. He was a free agent pickup in an AO wow. only expert league. So that just shows, I mean, what a difference a year makes. So wow, what kind of fan am I? I'm awful. Uh, I don't know. But you, you can I'm blame awful. it on the, it was a lockout year. Uh, <laughs> no one knew anything. But anyways, um, yeah, I just I love seeing that the Rays are spending that sort of you know spending that money now and keeping some guys. It, it, they do that with their big time prospects, not always with guys like this. Right. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I keep trying to wish cast uh, acquisitions. It's like I read an article the other day where um, Texas isn't sure how they're going to use Mitch Garver this year. You know, they already have Jonah Heim. They want to see what they have out of Sam Huff. They're not sure if. If, if Garber's even going to be able to catch, so do they really want to clog up full-time DH? And, you know, the Rays haven't done anything to add to the offense this this winter. So I was like, hey, that'd be interesting. Or you look at somebody else I mentioned, the AL Central, you know, Nick Prado with the Royals. Yeah, it's an Adam Dunn-like profile, but with Nick Prado right now, you look at first base, Vinny Pasquatino is going to have that locked up. Uh, left field, that's going to be MJ Melendez for the most part uh, right now. And so where would Prado end up playing um, and maybe Kansas City could move a guy like Prado because they have so much offense for some pitching. And look at an organization who has some pitching, and oh, hey, Tampa Bay has got some of that. So it's like I, as a, the fan of me, is trying to wish cast some trades because the team has right. just signed. The, you know, they're done these extensions out and trying to do something on the market. Yeah, um, well, they have the flexibility to do so. So I'm intrigued to see what happens there, uh, Jason. Good stuff. Always fun talking with you. Uh, love this series. Looking forward to the next three articles coming out. Uh, you're working on NL Central next, I take it? Yes, NL Central is next, and then it'll go to AL West and wrap up with the NL West. So all that will be done by the end of February, uh, right in time for the heavy part of March draft season. So you know everybody that's in AL Labor with me will know 
the the 30 AL guys that are written about, uh, and then the, everybody in the NL League will have that on. But uh, wrapping that up and uh, looking forward to some more drafts. I have a, uh, a Rotowire Online Championship to sign up for, uh, and hopefully do better this year. Two years ago, I finished second. Last year, I finished well below second. Uh, too many risk uh, on that team. I did win a, a draft champions, but uh, wasn't uh, wasn't the Rotowire Online Championship. So I'm hoping to do better in that. I got to set that date and uh, busy March. I looked at my calendar. I know you have the same thing, but I opened up my calendar and was like, "Yeah, honey, there's uh, every single." weekends full of some of the midweek uh, i just you know committed to the gdd draft with Cosolino and everybody it's like tuesday night the 21st of, of march so it's gonna be a busy month but it is the best that we call it march madness for a variety of reasons indeed indeed all right big thanks to uh our, our friends uh listening in here appreciate that thanks to uh fan tracks thanks to uh, underdog as well for the sponsorship thank you for listening uh, coming up tomorrow, we got uh, Todd Zola and Clay Link. They're going to talk a little best ball as well as, uh, you know, there's no two-star starters right now. So who, you know, we're going to talk roundtable rankings instead. Make sure to tune in for that. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks, guys.